Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today and today in the show we're going to talk a little about insect control in soybeans. Now if you don't raise soybeans, let me just say insect control in a number of other crops is somewhat similar to soybeans. So we're going to talk about bugs today on the show. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's going on in your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, agphd media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, when it comes to insect control in soybeans, it's a little bit different than corn. We talk about corn a lot on the show, and we worry about corn rootworms. Well, that's not a problem in soybeans. However, on our farm in the last couple of years, we actually have gone to putting capture LFR in furrow on beans. doesn't cost all that much, and we just figure, you know, we are still worried about wireworms, white grubs, seed corn maggots, seed corn beetle, and a number of other insects that could be in the soil early on. Now, I don't know if it's going to pay or if it's not. It's not a real big deal. And let me say this too. If you don't normally use an insecticide on your farm, you're more likely to have a bad insect outbreak with insects that are there from year to year. So if it's a bug that can fly in from three states away, Obviously, it doesn't make any difference if you've been using insecticide. But when we start talking about things like wireworms, white grubs, stock borer in some cases, uh, I mean, they're, well, eh, probably not stock borer because it's a moth. But with some of the bugs that aren't going to move far, rootworms, for example, then you want to have good control. And especially when we start looking at things like wireworms, that could live multiple years. Certain species of white grubs, and I, I mean, there are a number of other bugs in the soil that can build up over time. That's where it's nice when you hit them from time to time. So because we use insecticide every single time we plant corn, it's probably less of a deal for us, less of a concern for us in soybeans. But if we were picking up new ground, let's say we had ground right next to trees or next to CRP or something like that, I would definitely be more concerned. And then during the season, once the beans get up, it's just regular scouting. And what we're going to advise you to do in a lot of cases is just have insecticide on hand. Hopefully you don't ever have to spray it. But here's what usually happens. You're scouting and it might be on a Friday afternoon or a Saturday morning and you can't get insecticide for a day or two or three. Well, that's going to delay you in your spraying which could potentially hurt your yield. So we just want you to be ready to go to spray at any point because the challenge with some of these bugs is they can build rapidly in number and they can do a lot of damage in a hurry. So if you scout, you see a bad problem, you want to get it taken care of as quickly as possible. All right, we'll talk more about insect control coming up in the show today, but right now let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, got this one from Kent, and Kent is uh, uh, up in Canada, up in central Alberta. He said, I was watching your soils clinic training, um, and it was great, so thank you for that. What I'm curious about is how applicable what you're talking about regarding base saturation ratios and magnesium to potassium levels, for example, would be to the crops I'm raising, canola, wheat, and barley. 
Now, the clay types are certainly a little different here, but many of the other soil principles would apply, I'm sure. Just curious, what do you think about that? I think they're absolutely going to relate to those crops. Let's put it this way. Like for Darren and me, 30 years ago, we'd heard a lot of information, obviously learned a lot in college, learned from people after college, and we're like, all right, we're hearing some things that are different than what our dad said. Let's try some stuff out. And fortunately, our dad was great at letting us do things. Now, granted, if we did something wrong after we'd done it, oh, we were going to hear about it. (laughs) But he was okay doing it in the beginning. Anyway, the point is this. Our, Our advice is always try stuff on your farm and see what pays. And every crop is going to be just a little bit different. So I can't promise you that everything's going to be exactly the same in canola, wheat, and barley like it would be in corn, soybeans, and wheat in my area. Uh, But soil principles are still soil principles. Base saturation is basically just ratios of nutrients to each other in the soil because it's just like you or me as human beings. We need a ratio, a balance of nutrients in our body the soil, the plant, they also need that. So try some things out, but yes, you want to take a look at base saturation. You want to look at your magnesium to potassium. And I'm assuming where this is coming from is as we go north in the United States and then into southern Canada, there are a lot of very heavy soils. You probably have a really high amount of magnesium and somebody may have at one point told you, oh, you've got 175 or 200 parts per million of potassium. You're good. Well, you're not good if you've got, let's say, a 1,000 or 2,000 parts per million of magnesium. You've got to find a way to get more potassium into that plant. And it is a little more challenging with crops that are seeded in very narrow rows, 7-inch or 10-inch, as opposed to 30-inch. In 30-inch, like corn or soybeans, you can band. So, I mean, we've done a lot of strip-till with high rates of potassium in those high-magnesium soils, and that works out pretty good. But anyway, no. The, the, the soil principles are the same, and just try some stuff on your farm and prove it out over time. What's next, Darren? All right, uh, quick question here. This one is from Peter. He said, all right, I hear you guys talk about these yellows pre-emerge. What specifically are the chemicals that are included in the yellows, and what uh, group are they, what herbicide group are they? Well, they're group three products. And, Brian, if you want to talk about which ones they are specifically. Yep, trifluralin and sonolan are the two that have to be instantly incorporated or they will evaporate on you. And trifluralin is real inexpensive, by the way. Trifluralin is much less expensive than Sonalan. Sonalan's a better, a better product, but it costs probably three times as much as trifluralin. Trifluralin is the same thing as old Treflan. And then there's Prowl. Prowl can be used in no-till because it's got a low vapor pressure. They're all real good on grass and pretty good on a lot of small seeded broadleaves as well. So we really like them in many different crops. Yep, we do like those yellows. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about insect control and soybeans, though. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. 
Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Your farm's greatest challenge is making sure your crop has enough fertility to reach its yield goals. But how do you know if you're applying too much of any one nutrient? Fine-tune your fertility plan with Verify. Your combine collects hundreds of yield data points per acre. Verify takes that data and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on crop removal. So you can be confident you're not over-applying. Get started today at Verify.com. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of grower success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us. Take it from agronomy manager, Nate Honek. We've seen tremendous weed control that was sprayed in dry, hot conditions with uh, very little rain within two weeks after application. Very easy application. Definitely tank mixed well with the various products we used. Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about insect control in soybeans. And you may be thinking, wait a second, that's a long ways away. I usually don't have any problems till we get into June and July. Hey, like everything else on the farm, we want to have a game plan going in. We want to think about well, what do we have to watch for in terms of bugs and what's the best strategy. Last year, one thing that we saw was where we took just a fungicide and insecticide, I'm sorry, where we took just a fungicide seed treatment versus a fungicide and insecticide, we saw a significant gain having the insecticide on even as early as the seed treatment. So it, it definitely makes a difference uh, what the year is, what kind of pests that you're trying to fight. Uh, so we'll be talking about that on today's program and taking your calls and questions as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Ron Estes on with us right now with Valent. How you doing, Ron? I'm good. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing well. I'm I'm excited to start to when it's February in in uh, the north. I like talking about in crop things. It gets me excited. I start thinking about green crop and and scouting and all of those kinds of things. Uh, with insects, though, I think that seed treatment piece I was just mentioning is part of the equation here. We've got to stop bugs right from the start. I would agree. Uh, seed treatments do make a, a huge impact in terms of you know early season insect control. Um, taking care of some of those early seedling um, type pests. So, and, and it's it's tough. You know, if you don't put it out there to begin with, it's tough to 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 get that control that you would have lost. You know, that's for sure. And I, I think sometimes we we hear old advice that well, you know, you've got so many seeds out there with soybeans that it's not going to impact yield. But there are some farmers that are planting fairly low rates of soybeans. They need just about every seed to be successful. And the other side of that is soybean seed isn't cheap anymore. It's not $8 a bag like it was when I was younger. Uh, now it's 50, 60, 70 or more dollars a unit. That's, uh, that's not cheap. So you want to make sure you're protecting your investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, in crop, yeah. we, we got a lot of things too, Ron, that are going to hit us, and, and some of them are starting to become resistant or tolerant to 
uh, different modes of action that are out there. And uh, growers are always looking for what's coming, what's new, what are some different choices that I've got? Yeah, so I know that there's a, there's a at least in this area, and I'm kind of I'm I'm central to Illinois. Um, there's a lot of pyrethroids that get used and thrown in the tank, and I think that's um, fairly widespread. And at least in our area, they still seem to be working. Um, you know, the big thing with those types of insecticides is if you're putting them out there, you want to at least know there's some insects because um, even if there's not resistance, they have a limited time that they're going to work. Um, you know, I look at some of the, the uh, you know, synergists that you can put in with, in with the insecticides. We've got one called Exponent that, that helps with some of those control issues. Um, but, you know, overall, pyrethroids in general, they're a contact. Um, they're going to kill what's there. They'll last for a week or so. Um, and then you're probably going to lose a lot of that control that you would get. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of folks that think, well, I'm going to spray once, I'm going to be good for the season. But like you said, there's there's an expiration date on all those applications that we make. There's new leaves coming out. Of course, there's going to be rain that's going to wash some things off. Uh, talk to us a little about Exponent, because I think a lot of folks are kind of curious about what what kind of synergistic effect is that going to have? So basically, it's just in those situations where it... it with it being having that synergistic effect, it's just going to make that insecticide work even better. Um, you know, our main insecticide that we use uh, in corn and soybeans is Asana, and we found that Exponent does work well. Asana works well with um, really the tanks mix as well with herbicides, fungicides, other insecticides. Uh, we don't have any any issues there, but using the Exponent does increase or can increase the efficacy depending on the situation. Yeah, we, we look at a lot of bugs, and, and Brad and I from time to time will ask growers, all right, you're not getting control with this, but what rate did you use? What kind of coverage did you get? How many gallons of water? What kind of spray pressure and those types of things? And think about a crop like Absolutely. soybeans with a, a big, bushy canopy. It's tough to get all the way through, and a lot of times those bugs are just getting a, a portion of that active ingredient that you want them to get, having something in there, uh, like you mentioned, exponent to, to boost how that product's going to work can really be the extra help we need to knock out some of these tough bugs. We're talking with Ron Estes here over in central Illinois. Ron, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thank you. Got Matt Jenkins with us right now with FMC uh, down in Missouri and and uh, over into Kansas. Matt, how you doing? Good. How about you? Not too bad. So on, on soybeans, when it comes to insects, it, it really varies a little bit from year to year what kind of pressure we get out of Japanese beetles or soybean aphids or some of these other pests. What are kind of some of the, the top-of-the-line bugs that you just have to get under control every year in your area? Well, in Missouri and eastern Kansas, uh, the big bug that everybody talks about um, is going to be Japanese beetle. Uh, it's very visual. They clump up in the fields. And, and their foliar damage is, is very visible. But, you know, another bug that is starting to become a problem is stink bugs, whether that's green or brown, or even brown marmorated. Um, and a lot of that's going to be insect. Um, you know, they've, they've been marching their way up north. I mean, some of these bugs that we've kind of had to deal with in the Mid-South are now becoming a problem here in Missouri. And stink bugs is definitely starting to get some more attention um, as, as the years go on. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. We see some from time to time up here, but haven't seen it be like a huge problem yet, although we're seeing a few more come each year, so probably won't be too long. We'll be fighting this off as well. What are you finding that's working on the stink bugs? Well, so we got two products that are going to do an excellent job. Um, Hero has done a great job for, for growers that aren't so much worried about um, some other uh, worm complex uh issues that are out in their soybean fields, and then also Elevist. Um, so that's going to be Hero Tank Mix with Vanacore. Uh, those two products are, are doing an excellent job of both green and brown stink bugs. That is kind of an important thing to remember that our pyrethroids do a good job of controlling green stink bugs, but when we start to get in those different species of brown and even brown marmorated, that's where something like Hero and Elevist are going to excel compared to the other pyrethroids that are out there. Yeah, it just really brings up the point of scouting fields, getting out there, seeing what's going on. Uh, what do you recommend in terms of scouting? I, I know we've got a lot of tools at our disposal now with drones, with satellite imagery. Uh, but uh, to me, Matt, maybe I'm just too old school, but it just seems like you have to get out there in the field physically and, and do the work. You do. Uh, you know, when we think about Japanese beetle, uh, we start to get concerned when we start to see defoliation about 20 to 30 percent. And that's going to be pretty simple, um, you know, to go out there and scout, uh, and, and that's going to be very noticeable as well. But going back to stink bugs, and, and this can be a problem as, as why their populations can get so high is because they can be a little more undetected. Uh, they're going to be further down in that canopy. So, you know, when we think about doing some sweep nets on that, uh, in about 20, 25 sweeps, if we have anywhere from eight to nine stink bugs in that net after we get done doing those sweeps, that's going to be our, our sign to go ahead and, and treat with something like Elevist or uh, Hero. You know, adding that Renaxapir ingredient in there that comes in the Vanticore uh, can make a huge mm -hmm. difference. You mentioned just the, the broad spectrum of insect control. Talk to us about that particular ingredient. Where, where do you target that one? Yeah, so when we think about Renaxapir, just, uh, that's Vanticore, and that's also an Elevist. Um, you know, we're going to start thinking about soybean looper, podworm, um, uh, green clover worm, uh, even grasshoppers. So when we start to see those pests out in our fields, that's when we want to have that Vanacore piece um, being sprayed. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about insecticides and modes of action with uh, Lorsman going off the market, maybe coming back on later this year. I mm -hmm. guess we'll see on that one. But the the uh, industry pipeline has been robust. There's been a lot of new products that have come out over the last few years. Uh, we're really excited about some of them, like uh, like we were just talking about Vanticore here, doing a better job on some of those species than a lot of the products that are out there on the market uh, that have been out for a while. Uh, talking with Matt Jenkins now with FMC. Matt, thank you so much. We really appreciate all the info today. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. You bet. Talking about insect control in soybeans. I know it may be a little ways off before you're planting, but you got to have a plan in place. Uh, we'll talk about some more options that you have coming up right after this. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an agro-liquid dealer at agroliquid.com. 
Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every season, you're collecting yield data on virtually every acre of your farm. But what good is your data if you never use it? Put it to work with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on crop removal, ensuring your crops get what they need right where they need it, no matter what equipment you run. Go to Verify.com to find an expert to help you get started. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about insect control in soybeans on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Head back to the phone lines here. Got Aubrey Brown on with us right now with BASF to talk about insect control in beans. How you doing, Aubrey? Pretty good. How y'all? Well, uh, good right now. We have zero insects out there. It's freezing every night here, so that's one of the good things about living in the north. But, uh, but I know it won't won't be too long, and we'll be fighting bugs out in the field. Uh, what are some of the key bugs and some of the key ways of stopping them that you're talking about this winter? Soybeans. The primary pest that we see is a soybean aphid. Last year, we got hit pretty hard with them, and you never know with insects. It's always important to scout. It can vary from year to year, but that's definitely your number one. Yeah, I I am with you on that. For our farm, we've seen some major yield loss from aphids, a lot of times in pockets in fields if we don't catch them quick enough. Uh, and, man, do they make a mess. If you're walking through a field and hit an aphid patch, uh, you're going to get sticky and messy. Yeah, 
for sure. Aphids can be pretty tough, but BSF has a product called Safina. It has a unique mode of action, and that unique mode of action is actually crop safe, and it works very, very well. So the combination of the fact that it's unique, it allows for resistance management to pest populations that have developed resistance to older, to older chemistries, but also it is safe on beneficials. And we all know how important beneficial populations are to combat insecticide pests too, insect pests. Yeah, what a big difference that makes. And and like you say, one of the cool things about products like Safina is you can get out there a little earlier. And we always talk to growers about don't wait for uh, numbers to get huge on you by the time you, you catch it, if you can find them a little bit on the early side. But the pushback we get is, well, I don't want to kill off all the beneficials because then if I have a flare-up again, I'm in trouble. Well, here you can do the best of both worlds. You can get after those bugs on the early side before they take a whole bunch of yield from you without hurting those those beneficials. Now, the trade-off of that, Aubrey, is you don't kill every single bug in the field, so you definitely have to scout and see, are aphids the major problem, or is there something else out there, too? Yeah, for sure. If you're looking for something more broad-spectrum, BSF offers a tank mix product called Renestra. It has that acetopyrifin, that group 9D, that individual unique mode of action that's uh, safe on beneficials. But it also is mixed in with an older chemistry that does really well on broad-spectrum pests such as caterpillars and beetles. And it can hit a wider range of pests that you might not have expected, but you see. Yeah, Brian was talking about this earlier, Aubrey, about just having some product on hand. Not that you're going to automatically be spraying insecticide every time you're going across the field. We're not fans of that. We're definitely fans of scouting and seeing, okay, what do I have? And to have a couple different products out there like Safina and Renestra that uh, you can just grab one or the other depending on what you're seeing for bugs. It gives you a lot of flexibility and also allows you to hit things timely. Yeah, absolutely. And timely is that key word there. Insecticides, you can actually, VSF insecticides, you can tank mix them with fungicides. I think the key, though, is not to wait till you see the bugs. Sometimes that can happen if a grower is waiting to tank mix their insecticide with their fungicide. Yes. If you delay your fungicide application, that could end up going poorly in the wrong long run. So if you are going to do that tank mix, you still want to make sure you have optimum timing for your for your fungicide application too. You hit right on one of the key problems. Growers that say, oh man, I don't want to make a second trip, but by the same token, hey, do a great job scouting when you know when your fungicide application timing is going to be. And if you're heading out to spray a fungicide and it's the perfect timing for that, uh, and you see, you know what, I got aphids out there, they're on the rise, but they aren't at a huge number just yet. Uh, you could pick a product like Safina. Uh, one of the cool things, too, Albury, is, has been uh, our neighboring state up here, Minnesota, has had some troubles with pyrethroid resistance. You mentioned yeah. that that Group 9D insecticide. This is something unique in the market that, that really does have great activity on those pyrethroid-resistant bugs. Yeah, and another benefit of it, too, is it's not a restricted-use pesticide. So you don't need a license to apply, and it's got that great safe handling aspect. So not only is it beneficial safe, you don't need a restricted-use pesticide, but also it's a great option for resistant management. Sometimes we think these softer chemistries might not hit hard, but they really do. Savina hits hard on soybean aphids. 
Yeah, there, there are a lot of great choices out there. We always encourage growers, make sure you're talking with your agronomist about what are the new options or different options out there I should be looking at because prices change from year to year. Uh, new new things are coming out. We're, we're talking with Aubrey Brown here with BSF. Uh, BSF and, and a number of other companies just have robust pipelines of new products coming, which has been really exciting, especially in this insecticide market, uh, to get new things out like Safina to help us on some of the toughest bugs like soybean aphids and more. Aubrey, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on and and good luck to you here heading into the spring. Y'all have a good day. You bet. You as well. All right. One of the most important things whenever I think about insect control in any crop is that you're thinking about today's economics and what the true economic threshold is. It's very common when you search on the internet that you're going to find information that's 10, 20, 30 years old. You're going to find prices that are way different than what we're currently dealing with and also yields. So I just want you to keep all that in mind. Make sure that you're looking at current economics rather than past economics. So we don't have $7 corn anymore, but by the same token, we also don't have a dollar and 30 cent corn. And you might say, oh, $1.30, that was so long ago. It's vivid in my mind when it last was. It was the fall of 2015, 2005, 2005, sorry, not 2015, 2005. And so I know it's it's a ways now. We were talking 18 years ago, just over 18 years ago. But still, um, wasn't that long ago. It's in this generation where we had $1.30 corn. And my point is, if you look at information that's 20 years old, all of a sudden, you're going to have low prices that are, I mean, it might be $2 corn and $5 beans or something. Well, we don't have those. We also don't have super expensive economics for the insecticide price in some cases. Now, sure, there are options that'll cost you a fair amount of money. Don't get me wrong. But there's also the cheap $2 pyrethroid option. And if that works for you, and you're already out there making another application, well, you don't have any extra application cost, you can throw the $2 treatment in. I'm telling you what, even at today's prices of commodities, you do not need a whole lot of bugs out there to justify an extra $2 for the treatment. So it's just one of those things that you got to weigh out. And Darren was just talking about this a minute ago. I mean, beneficials. Sure. We'd love to have the beneficials continue working. And I mean, eventually the beneficials in a lot of cases are going to take care of a lot of insect problems. Unfortunately, if a whole bunch of yield damage is done in the meantime, well, you could have sprayed and saved that yield. So here's the other thing. A lot of times we individually think that we have this great big impact on the environment, on our society, everything else. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying, oh, we should go polluting. We should go doing bad things for the environment, everything else. I'm not saying that at all. Here's what I'm saying. If you stop and think about it for just a second, okay, let's say I have to spray one field on my farm that's 80 acres, and I got to kill whatever, soybean aphids as an example, and there were some lady beetles out there that also got killed. Okay, well, the insecticide doesn't last that long. I mean, maybe I have residual for a week. Maybe it's going to hold lady beetles out of there for a week. But just think about in the grand scheme of things, even in my state, I mean, there are almost 50 million acres. Okay, I treated 80. (laughs) I'm not going to have this massive impact 
on the whole state or everywhere. And you can also argue, well, yes, but if you farmers are going to spray all your acres, okay, well, even if every soybean acre in my state got sprayed, it's 5 million acres. Well, that's only 10% of the total acres. And it's only for a week. And it's only in some years. So I guess just kind of keep that in mind. Yes, we want to be easy on the beneficials. And there are products that are easy on the beneficials. But we also need to kill the harmful insects if they're damaging our crop. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of growers' success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us, take it from farmer Rob Schaefer. Residuals have become a big part of our chemical programs with trying to battle water hemp and also mare's tail is our big one. It's done a real good job of controlling those. You don't have to you know, put a bunch of gallons in your sprayer, cover a lot of acres that way. Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. On your farm, you spend thousands on fertilizer every season. But how do you know if any nutrient you apply is paying for itself? Build a fertility plan like never before with Verify. With Verify's soil point to yield analysis, you can automatically see the connection between your soil test and yield data to see which fertilizer dollars will make you money and which won't. Go to Verify.com to get started today. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. 
been talking about insect control in soybeans, but we're about to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag. We've been getting a lot of questions in at radio at agphd.com. It's a great way to email a question, especially if you've got soil tests or manure tests like we got in from Lance. He's up in northern South Dakota. Uh, Lance said, hey, first of all, guys, listen to your soil and your corn workshops. Really appreciated that info. Uh, I'm asking about cattle manure here and how much I can apply. I've got a feedlot about eight miles from my farm, and obviously I'd love to use as much manure as I can. So I, I took a manure sample, did some soil testing here too. Here's my program. I'm planting corn, corn, and then soybeans over three years. I'm doing one sprayer pass with harness and liquid 28%, generally just about 10 gallons as a carrier to, to get my pre-emerge herbicide out there. Uh, i got a few questions, though, for you. Uh, first of all, the obvious one, how many tons of manure can I apply, and can I apply that in front of soybeans or just in front of the corn? And then i got a couple other specifics, too. Okay, so first of all, can you apply manure in front of soybeans? Absolutely. We've had some phenomenal yields when manure is applied in front of soybeans. Now, some people will say, well, you're going to make the soybean lazy. Yeah, I've never seen that. Uh, we still see nodulation in the soybeans when you put manure out in front of beans. So don't get too worried about it. And also some people will say, well, you don't want to put manure out in front of beans because then the fertilizer is not going to get used and that's a concern for the environment. Yeah, that's also not true. You're going to use those nutrients so it'll be just fine. Take a look at how much, how many nutrients a great soybean crop pulls out. It's a lot. So I'm not concerned about that. Anyway, what I am concerned about is salt. And my problem is I've got this manure report here, but it doesn't tell me how much salt I have. So when so we send our samples to Midwest Labs. Right on the bottom of their manure test, it says 500 pounds of salt should be your limit. Now I'm paraphrasing, okay? But 500 pounds of salt should be your limit, and that's only if you get 25 inches of rain or more. In your area, you don't get that much rain, hardly ever. So and I'm talking total annual precip. So they say less than 500. How much less than 500 pounds of salt? I don't know. Um, it really varies on how dry you are. But that's my number one concern when we say, well, how much can I put on? Now, let's just assume that it was super low salt for some reason. How far then would I push it? Well, then I'm probably going to start looking at N, P, and K. Okay, so with phosphorus, you need lots. You're not, you're absolutely not going to be limited on the phosphorus. Your soil has very little. By the way, it's medium textured soil around 15 CEC. Uh, the potassium, you have a good level right now, but it's not excessive. So you're fine to put on almost whatever you want there. So then you're really limited by the nitrogen. And if you look at total nitrogen, it's 38 pounds per ton. So in terms of what's going to be available, first year. Um, there's not a lot that's going to be available first year. This is the other thing. There are a lot of labs that will estimate this. Your manure sample doesn't have an estimate. However, it does say organic nitrogen. Well, the organic is going to come available slower. And most all of this nitrogen is in the organic form. But how much is going to come available this year? I don't know. Our dad always used to say, yeah, the labs will tell you half will be available in the first year. Don't even count on that much. <laughs> Because you'll probably run short. It might be a third. So just keep that in mind. But that nitrogen is going to come available at some point. So I know I'm dancing around this thing a long ways. I'm, and I'm, I can't give you a good answer because I don't know how much salt you have. That's my number one concern. 
So yeah, I'm not worried about the phosphorus, not worried about the potassium. I'm more worried about salt number one, nitrogen number two. All right. Uh, Lance said he's uh, really concerned about wind erosion of his soil, so doesn't want to overly till out there. Sure. And after soybean stubble, he said, I could get right out and get manure put out there. Don't have all the residue to deal with. Uh, but I do have a lot of residue to deal with because we're, we're getting some pretty decent corn yields here uh, mm -hmm. behind the corn rotation. So just curious about what type of tillage tool you would recommend using. Uh, do you like products like Decomp to help residue breakdowns? So you don't do maybe quite as much tillage. Uh, and then anything sure. else? Uh, uh, oh, and then how do you value the manure to compare that to traditional fertilizer? With the manure, one way that you can do it is just take a look at, well, how much could I buy each of these nutrients for from a commercial place? And then you can figure the trucking in and the application cost and all that stuff. But yeah, all we do typically is look at, well, what could I buy this stuff for? So some years, manure is a good buy. Other years, you're like, ooh, I could do this cheaper with commercial fertilizer. But I, I mean... That, that's how I would value that. In terms of the tillage side, you don't have to till in fertilizer or manure immediately or even in the first year. So I know we talk an awful lot about nutrient stratification here on the show, and we also get very concerned about phosphorus with soil erosion, and we want to keep our phosphorus down in the ground as much as we can to protect it so we don't lose it and it gets in water or anything else. But... If you're no-tilling, let's just say, for one year, then you have a lot less risk for erosion anyway, so I'm not super worried. And if you till once every two or three years, then you're going to get that fertilizer down in the ground. So I would just do occasional tillage if I was you and I was worried about that. The other thing would be, I don't know if you're doing any silage like we are or early harvesting or anything else, but if you have a couple months before freeze-up, I would strongly consider putting out some type of cover crop, or for that matter, it could be a cash crop where you could uh, raise something, cut it, graze it, whatever. I mean, you've got options there. Just what keep in mind, as dry as you are, I wouldn't want anything growing into the spring because that's going to suck moisture out for your next crop that you would raise over that summer. Yeah, I just think strip till is something to consider. And a lot of guys are scared about it that, oh, I don't know yeah, if but, I'll get enough tillage out there to, to get through residue. Why would, why would he do that when he's got manure? I, I understand that, that you got manure that you want to till into, but it just... It's not going to work for him. He's not He's not going to strip till. Why would he strip till? If he's gonna, He wants to put manure on as often as he can. And right now, there's no problem with sodium in the soil, so I'm not worried about sodium. There's no big problem with salt in the soil, but always keep in mind, salt level can go super high, super fast. Literally one application and your salt's a problem. So that's why you've got to know how much salt there is, and I don't, and that's not on your manure test. So... I, I, you you got to get that. Find out how much salt is in there, and if you want to send us a sample back, we'd love to look at it. Yeah, that's true. He wants to put lots of manure out there, and I don't blame you, Lance. That's uh... I would do the same thing, but here's the thing. Our grandpa did too, but he had all this other stuff going on that he was trying to do, so he, he spread it too close to home and overloaded the soil and almost killed the soil with salt. Well, eventually when salt goes away because it's leachable, left a whole bunch of nutrients there, well, now it's good ground. Okay, but you kind of want it good ground in your lifetime, not in the next generation's lifetime. So don't overdo it on salt. That's my number one piece of advice. And it's harder because in that area, not as much rain. Lots of rain solves the salt problem. All right, thanks for the question, Lance. And, and uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you at future workshops and field days down the road too. 
Uh, get this one in from Jim over in South Central Minnesota. He said, okay, guys, two soil samples here, 150 feet apart. Sample number two is in an area I've got a lot of IDC. Uh, and if, as you notice with the pH, there's some big swings out in the field. Yep. So I've got a few questions for you. Yep. Uh, we did apply... Uh, in addition to our two-year um, applications, we're making 125 pounds of MAP, 275 pounds of potash. We did put on an additional 80 pounds of potash and 40 pounds of elemental sulfur in those high pH areas. And wouldn't you know it, uh, in four years, the pH dropped from 7.9 down to 7.5, so it's making a difference. Yep. Uh, haven't used any lime in the last 10 years, but uh, looks like we probably need to lime those low pH areas. And we haven't been applying any micros. Um, we've been using some sulfur, but not micros. Manganese seems to be really low. So just kind of curious what you guys think about these tests. Okay, I don't know that your manganese is actually really low. You're running a DTPA test here. We don't think that's very accurate, especially when your pH is 7.5. I know it says five parts per million of manganese. You might have 50 if you ran a Malik 3 test. Let's run a Malik 3 test and find out for sure on the manganese. Okay, but yes, copper's low, zinc's low, boron, at least in the low pH area in that, uh, well, in that area, it's low. So yes, you need to address the micros, but keep pushing the potassium. You're still too low on K. The other thing that I would say is in the IDC area, there's excess lime there. So you're going to want to keep pushing sulfur of some kind. I don't care what it is, ammonium sulfate or elemental sulfur. Uh, the, those things would, will continue to be good for you over time. And, and just keep working on all nutrients like phosphorus as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids rain at ridgeback.corteva.us. Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot 
For the smallest investment with the biggest impact on yield, upgrade your planter with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. To see how we stack up against the competition at a fraction of the cost, call us at 712-520-6051. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today. We were talking earlier in the show about insect control in soybeans, but right now we're in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. So right before the break, we had these soil tests we were looking at from Jim in Minnesota. And I had just made the comment that there's excess lime in the spot where he's having an iron deficiency chlorosis issue. I'm guessing there's a drainage issue there as well. Here's what's tipping me off to that. Number one, soil pH is high. Number two, and it, it's it's better, like he said, it was seven nine, not seven five. But number two, cation exchange capacity is twenty nine. Now, because there's excess lime, is it truly twenty nine? I don't know if it's actually twenty nine. What excess lime means is that there's a whole bunch of free calcium, so much that the soil can't even hold it all. So over time, we want to flush that out. And there are going to be some people that are going to tell you a lot of things about soils. One that oh, you can never get rid of all that excess lime. Well. Not in a year. I'm talking about in my farming career because part of my goal is to make it make my ground better for whoever farms it next. Might be one of my kids, might not be. I don't care. I just care about I'm trying to do the right thing for my ground. And if I've got high cation exchange capacity, high pH, a really high calcium level, high excess lime, and then I see, oh, my boron is very elevated. My soluble salts are elevated. Uh, those things are leachable. I also have much higher nitrogen or nitrate there, I should say, also leachable. I'm guessing there's a drainage issue. I'm guessing that some tile would help solve this problem too. So, and again, it's not going to happen instantaneously, but over time, if you improve that drainage, you'll flush out the excess lime, you'll flush out some of the other excesses that you've got there. And it's going to be some phenomenal soil. Now, like I was saying right before the break, just make sure you're addressing all nutrients. Your phosphorus level is really low. Your zinc's low. Your copper's low. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of things that are low. Let's get those fixed because when you have more yield, which comes from the more fertility you just put out, that means you're going to have more roots. More roots produce more acid into the soil, which lowers the pH. So it's going to make everything better. Once you get more fertility out there and just keep working on it, it'll come over time. Oh, and also he had made a comment about liming in the low pH area. Just be really careful where you're putting that lime because I, th- I think the number was 150 feet apart, these two spots. Um, you got a 5.3 and a 7.5. 
Well, does this, the 5.3 end exactly 75 feet away from the 7.5, just splitting the difference? No possible chance. And how big is that 5.3 area? Is it a 10-foot circle? Is it a 100-foot circle? I, is it five acres? I have no idea. So I just do a little more testing before you start investing money in lime because I'm guessing a very small percentage of your field actually needs lime. And when you put the lime out, don't go overboard. Uh, next one comes in from Adam down in Kansas. And we've had a couple of questions from Adam as he's making a transition with this farm, moving from uh, conventional to an organic wheat production. Uh, and he's going to ra be able to raise his first organic crop in 2026, uh, during the summer of 2026. But in the meantime, he wants to build up fertilizer as much as he can. Yep. And number two, at the same time, keep costs down. <laughs> and he uh, said, I know, I know that's going to contradict. So, yep. But he goes, here's, here's my latest thought, and I'm just curious what you think. And I sent the soil samples in case this is going to make a difference. Uh, but he said, I'm thinking about using cover crops uh, in the meantime to try to build organic matter and he goes, I, I just think wheat is going to be a losing battle. As well, wait. I, I have a wheat crop in In the meantime, you mean between now and, what did you say, 26? Yeah, he's got a crop in now for 2024 of wheat. But he's thinking after this one comes off, using cover crops up until that point so he can load up fertility, have something there to try and hold it in place without um, – he goes, I think wheat is going to be a losing battle because well, organic fertilizer costs a ton, but he's going to use a bunch of – manure so he's got a manure sample on the way back there of uh, some chicken litter of how much chicken litter could he be using he put on three to three and a half tons on the ar field on the gh field he put on two tons per acre and he's just looking at okay, here's uh, loading it up all right we say this all the time and we just said it earlier in the show we need to know how many pounds of salt there is per ton or per 1,000 gallons, depending on if it's liquid or dry, um, when you're going to apply this manure. And the test doesn't have it. It has soluble salts, but, um, yeah, it doesn't have how much per ton or how much per 1,000 gallons. We need that. That's super important. So I'd go back to whoever ran your tests and get that information because that's the first thing you should always look at when you're applying manure is the salt. Now, if you said, you know what, guys, I want to put so much manure on that there's going to be enough salt to kill my crop, and that's why I want to raise a cover crop, fine. But otherwise, I don't understand why we're talking about cover crop instead of raising an actual cash crop and making some money here. Because, I mean, the first statement was we want to load up fertility. Then the second statement was we want to save money. Then the third statement was I want to do a cover crop, which is cost and no income. So... I'm conflicted here, <laughs> or I'm getting conflicting statements is what I'm trying to say. Phosphorus isn't leaching. You don't have to worry about that at all, nor do you have to worry about zinc or copper, and all three of those are exceptional. Well, I shouldn't say exceptionally low. Your phosphorus isn't horrible, but your zinc and copper are exceptionally low. So I'm not worried. Just put some stuff on, and it'll be fine. Now, potassium, yeah, you might have to be concerned a little bit, but your K levels are not too terrible right now anyway so sulfur boron nitrogen you're gonna have to spoon feed those all the time for years and years anyway what we're talking about when we say build it's p k and many of the micros so build those and then you're going to be in pretty good shape all right Did you have more specific questions or was that 
that really it? It's it's a whole page of writing, so I tried to summarize as yeah, best yeah, I yeah. could. Okay, yeah, the only other thing that I guess I wanted to say that kind of stood out to me is there was one, and literally just one spot, where the sodium level was 3%. That's very concerning, but it's one spot. Soluble salt levels aren't high there. Uh, the K isn't off the chart. I mean, it's similar to other areas. Phosphorus is similar. I don't understand what's going on. Maybe the sample's bad. Maybe there's something weird there. So you got one spot uh, where sodium is just super high. So I don't know what happened there. But otherwise, yeah, I'm not worried about putting manure on. Uh, I'm not worried about, hey, we want to build stuff up or going to organic, all that. No, no problem at all. It's just uh, that one spot of sodium. That'd be about the only thing that kind of stood out to me. Otherwise, just keep building. Okay. Uh, I get this from Chad up in Montana. He said, hey, guys, uh, I've got a CEC in the 25 to 30 range. I've got soil pHs in the 8 to 8.2 range. And I'm just kind of curious what you think. Uh, is it realistic to get my soil fertility built up to the levels you recommend, considering those big factors I have working against me? I'm no-till. I'm confident I could build up K levels a little more with broadcasting. I'm concerned about phosphorus and micros since I only broadcast or put down things in a band during seeding. So Olson phosphorus, anywhere from well, 7 to 13, base saturation yeah. K, 2 to 3. Yeah, I mean, can you build it up and it would be good for your soil and your crop? Of course. What that, do you think of some of those but, sulfur levels, especially when you look below six inches when they're in the hundreds of pounds? Does that look like drainage or compaction, perhaps? Of course. And, you know, the other thing is when they say 360 pounds plus, um, it's plus. And it's not just plus, it's plus, plus, plus. So you might have 1,000 pounds there. You might have 5,000 pounds. I have no idea. But I can almost guarantee you this, there's a drainage problem. And so, honestly, I, I mean, there's some work to do here. Because phosphorus levels at that, even you can band all you want, um, but you're going to have a tough time truly maximizing yield unless you raise all the phosphorus in your soil, at least a little bit more than that. When we're seeing single-digit levels, boy, that's really low. And... Yeah, it, it's just, it's, it, it's really low. And so here's my suggestion for you. Tile and heavily fertilize just a very small area. Start there, prove that out over time that, hey, this stuff does pay and I can go with that. And I don't have any big issue banding. I'm, I'm great banding. We do a lot of banding when we're renting ground and stuff like that. And we get, we want quick uptake. We got high pH situations. I get it. Banding. I, I'm all for it, but I'm still going to work on Overall, hey, on my farm over the next 20 years, I'd like to get my, my overall levels a little higher than this, and i got to improve the drainage so that sulfur, excess sulfur can flush out. Hey, thanks for the questions. We really appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>